Alrighty, everybody, welcome back to episode four of the CAV Sports Podcast. I am your host, Chris. Now, I know the setup is a little bit different. I am not where I'm usually at right now. I'm actually visiting family today uh, for the holiday season, just to let you all know. And a late happy holidays to everybody, and hope you all had a great time. New Year's is just around the corner. Ooh, sorry, the light is a little bright. That's what I was missing. All right, got the light going. Got a whole new setup. I know you guys see the new microphone. We have a light now for the for the podcast today, and it's very exciting. I want to give a special shout out to my family that helped uh, that helped me get this uh, new equipment, so I can stop using uh, just regular headphones that I've been uh, currently using, like the AirPods or some other stuff that I've been using. So big thank you to them. They're also some of my biggest supporters, along with other close. Uh, family and friends that are supportive of this podcast so thank you to you guys for the equipment it looks great it looks professional now we have a new light it's not so dark in here anymore so now let's get started with episode four we have a lot to talk about today first off probably the biggest news of the day nathaniel hackett head coach for the denver broncos has been fired after after a 4-11 season and this is his only season and it's not a shocker, to be honest. I think it was kind of expected from ev- by everybody that he was possibly going to get fired unless he turned the season around, and he just didn't. He did not turn the season around. They had such promise on paper. They were supposed to be one of the best teams in the NFL this season. You know, giving Russell Wilson all that money, giving him a, a big-time extension on top of that, and it just it just fell apart, um, sadly, for Nathaniel Pickett, and he has to be the head of blame here. There were t- instances, you know, throughout the season where Nathaniel Hackett just showed he's not he's not ready to become a head coach, maybe offensive coordinator, defensive coordinator, maybe something like that, but he was not ready. As you can obviously see how the season played out, he was supposed to be the head coach. Now, I don't fully blame Nathaniel Hackett for everything. I think he's a big part of the problem, don't get me wrong. He's not, you know, there's no exclusions out of this. But I also think that Russell Wilson was kind of part of the problem. He got all this guaranteed money, this big contract, and an extension, and he has not played like Russell Wilson should be, not like the former you know, possible MVP candidate, not the Super Bowl MVP possible player, you know, that Super Bowl caliber quarterback that he's supposed to be a top 10 quarterback in the league. He did not play like that this season. So I think some of the blame for the Denver Broncos failing this season is Russell Wilson, but I think a big part of it is Nathaniel Hackett, just because of the way he's managed games. There were times where he just looked confused, and it's obviously reflected onto the team. As you can see, like with Russell Wilson, as he plays, at, at this point in the season, he just looks lost. You can just see it, kind of watching a little bit of the Rams and Broncos game, which we're going to talk about that game later on today. You can just tell Russell Wilson was just lost, and there's no way around that. And Nathaniel Hackett wasn't helping. So hopefully the Denver Broncos can get it fixed next season we're just not sure but the whole broncos country let's ride i'm sorry i have to give this a try (laughs) i'm sorry guys maybe next season maybe next season now this next topic i want to talk about it's not really something that's like breaking news it's just more of a question that kind of popped up to me earlier this week and it's lamar jackson the quarterback for the baltimore ravens he's been missing games because of an injury and one of the big questions that popped up was if Lamar Jackson's injury is, you know, is still injured, should he just sit out the rest of the season? Now, for those of you that know or that don't know, he's up for a contract. This is his contract year. The Baltimore Ravens is playing hardball with Lamar Jackson, which is, and I don't know why 
they just won't at least try to make a deal with Lamar Jackson. And there have been some people out there saying that maybe he should sit out the rest of the season. You know, prove a point. Prove the point that they need Lamar Jackson to get to at least get to the playoffs. And I don't think that's incorrect. I really don't. Lamar Jackson is probably like their best is their best player on offense for sure. Their most athletic player on the roster, and that that's hands down like a fact for the Baltimore Ravens. But I think with him sitting out, this would ha- would have had to be if they had a season like the Broncos. If they were four and eleven, not going to the playoffs, they've been eliminated from contention. Then I would consider Lamar Jackson sitting out and. You know, like, okay, well, I'm going to sit out because I'm not going to risk getting further injured for a team that's not even going to make the playoffs, which isn't true. The Baltimore Ravens are in the playoffs right now. They've clinched they've clinched a spot in the playoffs. So it's not like they're not going anywhere. That's not true. Do I think they'll get farther with Lamar playing? Of course they are. As you can see, uh, for the past two weeks, I believe, that he has not played, they have been struggling to move the ball. And... Some of it's because his key, his, his star players that he has at the wide receiver just isn't there anymore. Rashad Bateman's out for the year. Mark Andrews was injured for a good part. So all he's been relying on is his running game and himself running the ball and throwing to wide receivers that are kind of, you know, there to help out as much as they can. But obviously his big target is Mark Andrews. Now with his injury and the way he plays, and I believe it's a knee injury, he needs to be careful for sure. He needs to take less risks and less hits because that is a great way to, number one, not get your contract because you're going to get hurt even more. And the Baltimore Ravens are not going to want to give somebody that big of a contract if they're not going to be able to play him. And that just logically doesn't make any sense. Why would we give a big a big time contract to a player that's very injury prone? And we've seen that other other organizations in the NFL that have given big contracts to players that are injury prone, how that's biting them the butt. A big example is the Arizona Cardinals. They gave gave Kyler Murray, who was being petty with the Cardinals, you know, took down all their posts, you know, unfollowed them. They were freaking out because he was about to move, like move away. And they gave him his big contract and he was hurt for most of the season. They had to rely mostly on Colt McCoy. And I believe this week they relied on Trace McSorley because Colt McCoy could not play. But they don't have that star wide, uh, that star quarterback in Arizona. And it's just, I'm starting to see it's becoming the same situation in Baltimore. The only difference is that Baltimore has not given Lamar Jackson his money. And for an organization, I believe that's pretty smart because that way they don't run that risk of if Lamar Jackson does get hurt, they're going to have a problem. But... When you have someone that was a unanimous MVP, he's gotten to the playoffs. I believe he won a playoff game. There, there's no, there's no way you can't pay him his money, like, or at least strike some sort of deal with him. Maybe like if he doesn't get that, you know, Deshaun Watson contract, but at least guarantee him a pretty substantial amount of time and substantial amount of money. I think that I think both parties would be happy. Now, like I said before, Deshaun Watson, his contract with the Cleveland Browns has ultimately broke the quarterback, the quarterback ceiling for money paid because now they're seeing like, well, if I'm at least a little bit reliable or at least good enough to be a top 10, top 20 quarterback, I'm going to get paid money and big money. And now we're going to see that trend with all NFL quarterback, starting quarterbacks at least, that they're going to be wanting that high paid money because they're helping their you know, their team at least either get to playoffs or helping them have a good record to have a chance in the playoffs. 
And that's what Deshaun Watson has done. And now we're seeing that with Lamar Jackson because he's seeing that, you know, Deshaun Watson didn't even play majority of this season. And he has all that guaranteed money the Browns are promising him. The Packers just gave Aaron Rodgers a big contract. And there's probably more that's coming. You know, Joe Burrow is about to probably, he's probably going to get a pretty big, pretty big contract. Justin Herbert, I don't think he should get one, or at least not a really big contract, but Justin Herbert's probably going to get a contract. And, you know, we saw Dak Prescott get one, and, you know, he's top 10. And, uh, Lamar Jackson's, like, a little more athletic than him, so he can do a little bit more. Obviously, Patrick Mahomes got his money. Josh Allen's going to get his money. So Lamar Jackson's asking himself, well, why should I not get my money? And on top of that, I'm risking more further injury, and that can ultimately hurt his skill set and what he does in the games because a big part of what he does is runs around in the pocket he can run the rpos he can run the read options the speed options he can you know break away from the pocket extend it with his legs or go get the first down he has enough speed to do that and obviously with a, with a little bit of, of his arm strength that he has he can make those plays and with all that if he starts injuring his knee a lot and there's not guaranteed or at least some kind of you know, money involved because he's, he's injuring himself and he's potentially going to take away that skill set of his, you know, that skill set of his game. And now there's a problem. So I do think that's that was an interesting question with if Lamar should sit out the rest of the season. I believe they they would if they were having the season the Broncos were having. If they were not going to make the playoffs, like they're they're out, it's set and done, you know, next season, then I would for sure, for sure um sit out i would you know rest up you know you got to get ready for next season you know now you've shown that the the baltimore ravens need you but they don't have that kind of season they're going into the playoffs so he's going to get paid for going to the playoffs regardless so he's going to get some sort of incentive for that but i think more of you know where the money problems coming in is that he's injuring his knee it's taking away from his skill set of his game now you need to make sure well i'm gonna make you know i'm gonna get my money because i'm the one putting you know, my athleticism on the line, my knee is getting hurt, and I'm not really working with so much talent that I have to carry the show most of the time outside of Mark Andrews. So I think that Lamar Jackson shouldn't uh, sit out, especially if they're going to playoffs. Now, I do think he should rest. If he if they're already clinched a spot in the playoffs, then I would rest Lamar Jackson until you go to playoffs. Until you guys figure out who you're going to be playing come January, then I would play Lamar Jackson. But right now... I don't think the Ravens are in a hurry to start Lamar. They are not in the hunt. They're not, you know, trying to fight for the fight for their division because the Bengals have clinched it. But they are in the playoffs. So if they want at least a little help from Lamar in come playoff time, then I would say let him sit until playoffs. But do I think he should sit out the rest of the season and miss playoffs? No. I really don't because he's going to be their best chance of going. Obviously, the other two quarterbacks, Huntley and I I'm blanking on the third the third string quarterback Obviously, they're not the answer, and we can clearly tell. Lamar Jackson gives the Baltimore Ravens a better chance at least making it far into the playoffs. So, Lamar Jackson, I believe he should sit at least until playoff time and then go from there. But the Baltimore Ravens organization, you guys got to cut a deal with him. You guys got to get him some kind of incentive, some kind of deal going. If not, I mean, he bet on himself this season, you know, and I believe that he, you know, he's... I don't know what else more he needs to prove outside of maybe a Super Bowl. But unanimous MVP, he's gone to playoffs, he's set these records, you know, he gives your team the best chance to win. I would at least start talking to management and saying we need to at least get him to stay, to think about staying before Lamar 
come off season decides, hey, I want to trade. I want to get out of here because clearly you guys do not value my skill set. You're not giving me the kind of financial aid that I need, especially with something like this. So the Baltimore Ravens, I highly advise you guys get a deal with him done before another team comes up with a bigger salary cap and trade just starts offering you guys a trade for Lamar Jackson. All right, so next up, I want to talk about another big event that's happening this upcoming weekend, the college football playoffs. That's right. That's right. The top four teams in the NCAA are going head-to-head. So number two and three, or sorry about that, two and three, Michigan and TCU, and then one and four, Georgia and the Ohio State University. So first of all, I want to talk about the matchup TCU and Michigan, which I'm very excited for. I think that's probably going to be one of the better games this upcoming weekend. So to kind of give you guys a little bit of background between the two uh, universities, Michigan has a third-ranked defense, which is pretty impressive in the college football world. And compared to that, TCU has a 74th-ranked defense, which is not bad, top 100, but, you know, it it could be better. But here's where things get a little interesting. TCU has a 15th-ranked offense, though. Michigan only has 27. So what I think this is going to come down to is probably defense is where the big plays are going to be made because JJ McCarthy between JJ McCarthy the quarterback for Michigan and Max Duggan between those two quarterbacks I would take Max Duggan just because he's showed the most heart in college football you know his story with his heart condition you know he wasn't even supposed to play this year and then you know he came off the bench after I believe the original starter he got hurt and he couldn't go he came off and led TCU to the Big 12 title and a near perfect season so I think between Max and JJ, I would definitely take Max Duggan because he's going to put the team on his back when they need him the most. And clearly everyone saw it against Kansas State in the Big 12 title when he pulled off a miraculous 90-yard run to set them up for overtime. And they lost the Big 12 championship by an inch, which is a killer, you know, especially for him working that hard and, you know, putting the little team on his back to get him to get to put his team in a position to win the game. Which it was just very heartbreaking, but now with Michigan though, they I cannot say that they have not you know pulled it off either. They upset Ohio State earlier this season to get to clinch their spot. Now with that though, I will give Michigan this. Ohio State is a really good team. I believe I have some other stats right here for the for the Georgia matchup. They were seventh ranked in offense and they are ranked eleventh on defense. So it's not like Michigan. You know, it's something to sleep over because they knocked off, you know, CJ Stroud, who was a Heisman finalist and a really good defense and a really good passing game. So we cannot take away that from Michigan. So I wouldn't really rule out them just because they they've shown that they can they've shown and proved that they can play and they belong in the playoffs this season. And, you know, Harbaugh's been working hard to get to the playoffs. He's been working really, really hard to get in the playoffs this year. And he finally got it with his team. And I, w- I want to say another thing that's pretty impressive, though, is J.J. McCarthy can, you know, he could step up. He was, I believe he was the one, and I, I stand behind on this, J.J. McCarthy was the one that beat Ohio State. They won without their top running back in Brom. Uh, Brom, I forgot his name, I'm sorry. But J.J. McCarthy stepped up when they needed him the most, and he outplayed a Heisman finalist. So I think the Horn Frogs need to keep that in mind. I know they're running, they have a top-tier running game, I believe, over there in Michigan. But J.J. McCarthy is also not a quarterback to sleep on because he knocked off a Heisman finalist who was projected to win that game. 
it, I believe Ohio State was projected to was like a seven, like a six point or three point. Uh, uh, what's it called? They had the, the uh, advantage over Michigan, and Michigan came up big. McCarthy outplayed that uh, C.J. Stroud, so I think TCU needs to keep that in mind when they go into this matchup with Michigan. Is they got is that J.J. McCarthy is not a scrub himself. He's not a game manager. You know, he's not just a guy that have a quarterback. He can play. And I think TCU needs to keep that in mind when they go in when they go into this matchup. And another reason why I think defense is going to have to come up big for TCU if, and uh, Michigan, why they're going to be the crucial point in this game, is because um, earlier this season, TCU, whenever they faced off against a top-ranked teams and Max Duggan didn't play good, a big example would probably be the, the Texas game. Their defense was able to hold B.J. Robinson, one of the top running backs in the NCAA. He's probably going to be, like I believe he's a top one or two running back going into the draft this year. And they were able to hold him down. And I believe they forced fumbles and turnovers. Quinton Ewers, the top recruit that transferred from Ohio State to Texas, they were able to hold him below his average numbers. Not even Alabama was doing that, if you really think about it. Because when Texas went up against Alabama, Quinton Ewers was throwing all over that Bama defense. And Nick Saban was getting frustrated, and you can see it. So prior to Ewers going down in that game, it looked like Texas was about to knock off the number one team in the country. If Quinton Ewers would never got hurt, that would have happened. But when Texas went up against TCU, that TCU defense was able to hold the two top players for Texas. In B.J. Robinson, the top running back in the NFL class this year, and Quinton Ewers, who's going to be a real good quarterback coming probably in the next couple of years, and also he's probably going to be a top pick in the NFL once he gets ready to go and make the move over. And that's just something that TCU has under their belt. And also another game I want to uh, bring up for the TCU Horn Frogs was the Iowa State game. Iowa State, their defense is actually ranked higher than Michigan's. TCU was ranked six over the top, the number six defense in the whole country, and TCU was able to drop forty points, I believe, or more on Iowa State. And then the TCU defense held the off uh, the Iowa State offense, who they're not as good as their defense, but I was, but Iowa State's defense, on the other hand, was pretty good this year, and they were ranked number six, which is higher than Michigan, and I believe they're higher than Georgia. So. I'm not knocking out that TCU is gonna, you know, have a hard time against this defense. I'm, oh, I do apologize. Michigan is actually ranked higher than Iowa State, but it's more to my point is that TCU can can go up against these top defenses and they can move the ball effectively, which is what I think TCU is gonna need. But I also believe that their defense is gonna have to step up against JJ McCarthy in that run game if they're gonna have any chance to knock uh, to knock off Michigan. But like I said earlier, uh, when we first started the segment, that that's going to be the game I'm most excited about because it's going to be two teams that are right there neck and neck. And I believe statistically these teams are about even. I really do. I think that a TCU offense with Max Duggan, they believe in Duggan, and they are going to be able to go toe-to-toe with that number three defense in Michigan. But I also think J.J. McCarthy is a good enough quarterback to get past that TCU defense. So it's going to be a great matchup, and I think these are the two most equal teams in the playoffs right now, but I will give you guys my pick for the playoffs come at the end of this podcast when I do my other picks for the NFL. But now we're going to go up to the next matchup. Number one and number four, Georgia and the Ohio State University. 
So to kind of bring up some of their rankings, uh, like I said, Ohio State is the seventh-ranked offense, while Georgia is number eight. And on defense, Ohio State is ranked 11th, while Georgia is eighth. Now, I've said this before, and I'll stand by it. Georgia University is probably the most complete college football team this year. As you can see, they're both evenly ranked in both offense and defense. That's why I was strongly, um, strong, strong-headed on why Stenson Bennett should have not won the Heisman, because they have a top-ranked uh, running game and a top-ranked receiving core. So, it was like an AJ McCarron situation a few years ago uh, with Alabama. He got ranked for a Heisman finalist. wasn't because he was a good quarterback. It was because he was on a really good team. Now, I'm not saying that Stenson Bennett is AJ McCarron. No, I think Stenson Bennett was probably better than uh, AJ McCarron when he was in Alabama. I'm just saying that he has a complete team. He was never put in a situation this season where he had to dig deep and come from behind. Most of the games that Georgia played this year, I believe there was no opponent that had that was within seven points of him. I believe the closest one was like four, like seventeen or twenty-one. I forgot. I forgot which number it was. But Georgia has been blowing out their opponents this season. Big a big example is that LSU got their butts kicked by Georgia in the SEC title title game. So I will stand firmly behind that. Georgia has the most complete team, I believe, in college football right now. Just because of their high-ranked offense and their high-ranked defense, Stenson Bennett, I believe, is also a good quarterback. He was a Heisman finalist this year. But they have never gone through that adversity. They have dominated everyone they played this year. But, oh, Oklahoma, but Ohio State is not going to be a pushover either. Ohio State, I'm, I know they snuck they snuck their way in back into the playoffs with USC losing to Utah in their title matchup, and they were able to get in and squeeze on in. But CJ Stroud is not a pushover either. I know I mentioned earlier that he was that he did lose to JJ McCarthy with Michigan, but other than that, he played. You know, he had a great season. You know, I believe aside of two games, which is Northwestern, and I'm blanking on the next game. Which is where he was. He had a really bad outing, which I believe actually was the Michigan game. And Northwestern and Michigan was the two games he just did not have a good, uh, good outing with uh, for him that honestly hurt his Heisman chances. And I said this in the in the uh, Heisman Trophy episode, and that was if if C.J. Stroud had one of those uh, Heisman Trophy moments, I believe he would have won the Heisman. He would have won the Heisman over Caleb Williams, but he didn't have one of those games. But now he lost the Heisman for a second year in a row because he got a, he got uh he was a finalist last season I believe and now this year he did not win but he's in the playoffs and he has a chance to prove himself and that's going to be pretty big for him and I believe this will be his I should have won the Heisman moment if he can go up against this eighth ranked defense now with that though they do have the seventh ranked offense so I think the defense and the offense between Georgia and Ohio State is going to be a pretty incredible one because those are top, you know, top ten uh, teams that you know can move the ball and, and stuff and stuff the run and pass. So it's going to be a pretty interesting matchup, I believe, on that department. But I honestly don't think that Ohio State's defense is going to stop Stenson Bennett, which is probably going to be the Achilles heel for the Buckeyes, is because Stenson Bennett, that receiving core, and the run and the run game is just going to be way too much, in my opinion. They, like I said, though. That the running core, the running backs alone were killing the SEC, and then adding on top of that, Stenson Bennett's incredible passing uh, season with that top-notch receiving core, 
that that might be a little bit too much for Ohio State. And that's actually what uh, I was saying for TCU, if they're going to have a chance to get to the national title game, is that if they don't play Georgia. Because all the roads are going to lead to Georgia. Obviously, that's kind of what everyone's pick has been. Aside of Alabama, it might have been all roads lead to Georgia. Now, Ohio State has a chance to knock them off. Um, but I do like the, like I said, I do like the matchup between Ohio State's offense and Georgia's defense. I think that's going to be, you know, kind of, that's going to be pretty blockbuster. But that Ohio State defense, I don't know if they'll have an answer for Stenson Bennett. That's just, that's just going to be an interesting game to watch this weekend and keep an eye on that. But I will also get to my pick on who's going to win that game and who's going to go to the national title. All right, so next up, some NFL games that caught my eye this weekend. There was a, quite a few, actually. And we got to start with the first one and the obvious one. How about them Cowboys knocking off the best team in the NFL this past Saturday? Yes, everyone. Round of applause. A round of applause. They won 40-34 to against the Philadelphia Eagles in Arlington. Now, to kind of give you guys some of the stats for the game, Dak Prescott threw for 27 for 35, 347 yards, Three touchdowns, one interception. Gardner Minshew was 24 for 40, 355 yards, two touchdowns, and one interception. Now, I want to get this started with, uh, you know, how Dak Prescott and the offense played. If I had to give him a score out of 10, I would actually give him a 10 out of 10. Because if you take away the pick six, that's about almost a two, three possession game. Um, for sure, two possessions. If you take away the interception, and the pick six Dak threw in the beginning of the game. But the reason why I give them a 10, not because of, you know, they're obviously they're high scoring, but it's because they were able to rebound off the turnover. I believe after after the interception, Dak was going up and down the, the offensive uh, sideline. He was saying, that's on me. That one's on me. That's my fault, but let's, let's, let's answer. And I believe Dak Prescott on the offense was able to do that this past Saturday. You know, they were able to uh, pass the ball through the air. And we and it's not like the Philadelphia Eagles have a bad defense. They have one of the top defenses in the league this year. Their team altogether is top-notch. So it's not like they're, you know, it's not like their defense is a pushover because they were getting sacks. They got a pick six. They were forcing, you know, breakups. They have the best cornerback duo in the NFL with Darius Slay. And I believe it's... Uh, I forgot the other guy's name. I'm so sorry, but I'm blanking on him. But I do know that they had they uh, right now have the best corner uh, cornerback corners in the NFL right now. So it's not like their defense is bad. It's not that you know their defense alignment weren't getting to Dak Prescott. It wasn't like they were stopping the run. It was nothing like that. The Philadelphia defense was taking it to the Dallas Cowboys offense. It's just that offense was playing better. Dak Prescott was able to rebound off of the interception, and they were able to play to their hardest to knock off that defense. Now, a lot of people that I've heard after this game and their reaction was, you beat a backup quarterback. No, I will not let that slide with anyone because in the beginning of the season, all the Philadelphia fans were bragging that they beat Cooper Rush. They were bragging that they beat a backup quarterback in Dallas because Cooper Rush was going was on a hot streak and he was doing well and the Philadelphia fans were raving that they knocked off the Dallas Cowboys and the backup quarterback with Cooper Rush. So 
I don't appreciate. I do not accept that part of their argu- of anyone's argument. I get Gardner Minshew is a backup quarterback, but it's not like Gardner Minshew is you know some backup quarterback that's never played before. He was a starter in Jacksonville. He had some success in Jacksonville, and he's probably the best backup quarterback this se- uh, this season with the Philadelphia Eagles. And it shows that uh, that they have an offense that can run with anyone now we're seeing that it's the system that uh sirianni has in place for that philadelphia team that it can work with anybody and we're clearly seeing that because obviously with jalen hurts he's had an mvp season and then he went down and now garner Minshew comes in garner Minshew, this backup quarterback that everyone is saying don't don't get it on your high horse uh cowboys fans you beat a backup quarterback this backup quarterback passed for almost 400 yards 400 yards and that so you can't say it's the backup quarterback because the backup quarterback didn't play like russell wilson did this past week he didn't play bad he was moving the ball did and this is another thing the dallas cowboys defense never forced gardner Minshew to punt at all that game they never punted nor did they get a sack so they cannot say that well he's a backup quarterback because that backup quarterback was first of all a starter and he's able to run that offense clearly effectively so it might be just Sirianni's system but you can't knock that away from Gardner Minshew you just can't and that's why you know the Dallas Cowboys were so focused on this game even with Gardner Minshew they still saw how well that system ran with Gardner instead of Jalen Hurts so this argument of well, it's a backup quarterback. No, I, I will not accept it because that backup quarterback still, you know, still passed for, for 355 yards. That backup quarterback was a starter in Jacksonville when he first came into the league. That backup quarterback is probably the best backup in the NFL right now. And obviously we've seen it. And now we see that he can run Sirianni's offense. Maybe they can't do as much as Jalen Hurts. They can't do the bootlegs or, you know, the read options on third and inches. And, you know, he can pull it and run it like uh, Jalen Hurts can, but obviously they could set up a game plan for Gardner Minshew to set him up to be successful. Him and Devontae Smith were killing that Dallas defense. And now let's actually talk about the Dallas defense because I believe they were the weakest link in this game because, as I said, they did not have a sack. Micah Parsons was not a factor in that game. Trayvon Diggs was getting burnt and torched like crazy in this game with A.J. Brown. A.J. Brown was making him spin in circles i'm surprised they didn't go to aj brown more i believe like sometimes he had a little bit like of an injury or he got nicked in the leg or something but he was torching and he was just making trayvon diggs look look silly the pro bowl selected corner in trayvon diggs you know he didn't look like a pro bowler against aj brown and then Devonte smith was torching you know kelvin joseph and those other cornerbacks over there on the other side of the defense so with the Dallas Cowboys defensive line not getting home, and we clearly saw that. They were not getting the pressures that they need to be able to win, uh, to able to, you know, get Gardner Minshew off the field and, you know, give the offense a chance to try to, you know, pull the lead away. That defense was not stopping the Eagles. So, the you know, Dan Quinn needs to come up with something else because that defensive line has now been non-existent for the past few games. And, you know, there's only so much that the offense can do to bail you out. 
and you can't rely that Dak may have another game like that. I believe he. I believe this is probably Dak Prescott's best game this season. I per, I do uh, personally believe that, and you can't rely he's going to have another one of those again if you have to go up against Philadelphia and if you have to go up against Jalen Hurts. Now, do I think that the Cowboys maybe lose if Jalen Hurts might have played? I believe I believe that's a possibility. That's why I said in the last episode, if Jalen Hurts doesn't play, I will take the Cowboys. And I believe after they announced Jalen Hurts was not going to play, the Cowboys became a three point, uh, had the three point advantage, and the I believe the uh, the Eagles were like a three point underdog, which is still very shocking. But if Jalen Hurts plays, I believe we were not going to win because clearly that defense was non-existent against Philadelphia. And I would not want to go out, go in a shootout with Philadelphia with how well that offense is run. One of the biggest, uh, one of the biggest like indicators that I knew that we have an issue, or that you know we're gonna have to fix something is I believe they ran they ran a play with um, that uh, was Devontae Smith's first touchdown, and Garner Minshew they did like a fake screen to Dallas Goddard. So Dallas Goddard ran to the left. You know, ran a fake screen. So what Devontae Smith did was act like he was gonna block Trayvon, and then he bolt. You know, he kind of you know bailed away to get open, which is a fake screen. So Trayvon, instead of following his man, which because it looked like it was man-to-man defense, he bit to try to you know either undercut uh, Dallas Goddard or to get an interception or stop him. He let the he let the trail man and Devontae Smith get wide open into the end zone and score the touchdown. And that's when I knew that there's there's an issue, or that Trayvon Diggs is gonna have to probably abandon that you know that uh, quick jump kind of play that he does. I know he's a ball hawk. He has wide receiver skills. He was a wide re- he was, came in to Alabama being a wide receiver, and then he moved over to corner. But when you have that crazy of an office that Sirianni runs, you have to be very disciplined. And it was just evident that he wasn't. You know. He was trying to make the big plays too much. He was trying to overcut, you know, undercut wide receivers. You know, he was trying to be in the right place at the right time. You know, he thought, well, the play is coming here. But then, you know, Devontae Smith sneaks right behind him, and he's wide open for a touchdown. And now you just, you know, now the Eagles are back in the game where they're starting to pull away. And once you go up against an offense like Sirianni's, that's, I think that's the one thing you have to do. And that's what I believe the commanders did when they beat the Eagles, was that they have to stay disciplined. Stick to your assignments and stick to them. Don't try to be the hero here. Don't try to be the person that I want to make the big play. I want to be the person that stops this defense, this offense. No. I believe that they have to stay disciplined because when you go up against an offense like that, they run so many motions. They do a lot of guard pulling. They do a lot of crazy plays, a lot of tricks. That You have to stay disciplined. That's just something that you're going to have to do. If your assignment is man-on-man defense, you stick with the right receiver. I remember uh, this was an old saying from a coach of mine whenever I played. It was, if that per- if that receiver has to go to the bathroom, you were going to stand in- you're going to go with them, and you're going to hold the toilet paper. That's exactly what you're going to do. That's man-to-man defense. You are not leaving that receiver alone. And that's exactly what Trayvon Diggs didn't do. He bit on the fake screen, and that led to a touchdown. You need to stay disciplined. You need to stick to the game plan that Dan Quinn is putting together. Now, we have to move on to the to the Dallas uh, the Dallas defensive line though. They gotta get home. They gotta get pressures on the quarterback. You cannot give Gardner Minshew 
that much time in the pocket. You cannot give these kinds of quarterbacks that amount of time to go through their first read, their second read, their third read, the you know, then the check down, or you can't give them time to let the play develop, you know, or if coverage is blown and they see it and they have time to get it open, then, you know, you can't do that. Or if they try to escape the pocket, you got to keep the contain. The defensive line needs to get a uh, bottom line better. You know, they didn't get a sack this past game. And I believe that if they at least would have gotten two or three sacks, I think they would have been able to stump the defense. They may have been able to force Philadelphia to punt the ball. So, Micah Parsons and Demarcus Lawrence, they got to figure something out because they need to get to these quarterbacks sooner rather than uh, like right now. They need to get to these quarterbacks because if you don't get to the quarterback and the corners that we have, the corners, the corners that we have, aside of Trayvon Diggs, Kelvin Joseph is burnt. You know, he can be burnt by wide receivers. Uh, Wright is a little bit better, but, you know, he's mad and consistent. And then Bland, Bland is stepping up, but... I don't think Bland is as good as Trayvon. He's not, you know, a lockdown corner, and he's going to get beat too. So if you know that you have an injured corner, a cornerback on one of the on the other side of Trayvon Diggs, your middle linebacker in Leighton Vanderush is hurt, which is your best run stuffer, and your safeties, if you if they have if uh, the quarterback doesn't get stacked within a certain amount of time or pressured or something, the safeties might get beat. So. The defensive line needs to figure something out because they got to get home at some point in time. You got to put pressure on that quarterback. You got to make him rethink of what he's doing. You need to make him nervous on third down because if you don't and you give him time like they did with Gardner Minshew, that's how he passes for 355 yards and gets two touchdowns. That's how he gets people wide open or they get to set up the play that's going to get other wide receivers open or that's how Devontae Smith's going to have a big game. Now, I'm not going to knock on, you know, knock on them too much because they did force four uh four turnovers i believe i'm sorry i was incorrect about the interceptions on gardner Minshew. he had two interceptions in this game he did they did get two interceptions and they got two f- uh fumbles um bad handoffs to miles sanders and the philadelphia eagles took him out of the game which i thought was very shocking i believe in the last three four minutes of the game mile after that second fumble miles sanders did not touch the field which i think is a little bit concerning because you know, I think Sirianni, like, he trusts Miles Sanders until that happens, you know. Or whoever's calling the offense is like, okay, we trust Miles. He, you know, Miles Sanders is not a bad running back. It's just when, I think, believe it, when he screws up, like, when he fumbles a ball or he misses, you know, the right gap to shoot through or something like that or a blocking assignment, they take him out of the game. And I believe mentally he kind of takes himself out too because when that second fumble happened, you can just see, like, on the sideline he's taking off. You know, he's like unbuckling his chin strap. He's frustrated with himself. You can just kind of see mentally he's not there. You know, his confidence is kind of down, you know, which makes sense because when you, you know, when two fumbles happen on your account, that's very, you know, that hurts your, your confidence in yourself. But when the game's on the line, you can't, you can't do that. And I think that Sirianni is seeing that with Miles Sanders that like he kind of mentally checks out and that's what makes him not put him in the, not put him in the game. Now, with that, though, with the defense were able to capitalize on these turnovers and then giving the ball back to the offense, and they were able you know, to get either field goals or touchdowns off of the turnovers, I think that was the ultimate uh, reason why the Dallas Cowboys won. If they didn't force that many turnovers, then I believe it's going to be another issue. I believe it's another, like a whole you know, a whole other problem that the Cowboys have to deal with. 
or they're going to have to score 20 points in a quarter, which is going to be hard, especially if Jalen Hurts plays. Now, with like I said, with four turnovers, you're probably going to win the game. But that's why I was saying earlier that you cannot, uh, you know, just say Gardner Minshew is a backup quarterback because he was still able to move the offense. Even with four turnovers, they had potential to win the game. They really did. It wasn't like they were out. They weren't out for the count. It wasn't, you know, anything, you know, to freak out about because they knew they can move against the Dallas defense. So with that, I'm going to end on this. How about them Cowboys? How about them Cowboys, everybody? Now, we'll just have to wait and see how the rest of the season plays out, see if they can pass the Philadelphia Eagles. I believe they have the tiebreaker because they have more division wins. So we'll just have to wait and see how the rest of these last two weeks go. So the next game that caught my eye was the Lions and the Panthers. The Panthers would win 37-23 to against the Detroit Lions. Another great game from Jared Goff, though. Uh, 25 for 42, 355 for three touchdowns, no interceptions. Uh, Sam Darnold, 250 with one touchdown. But here was the big, uh, the big gap between the Lions and the Panthers, and that the Panthers' running game was just too dominant against the Detroit defense. They were able to rack 320 uh, total rushing yards. Uh, Foreman had 165 with the touchdown, and then Hubbard had 125. Um by himself and no touchdowns and this is where the issue i believe is now coming up for the detroit Lions. their defense needs to stop the running the run game i believe that not, that's pretty evident if you allow 300 yards on 300 rushing yards you're probably not going to win the game but also on the offensive side uh, uh, swift and jamal williams need to need to do something because this is an interesting fact and stat the 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 person that rushed the most yards this past game was Jared Goff. He ran for 15 yards and he had the most rushing yards out of everybody on that on that running back team. That's not good. You cannot do that unless you're Lamar Jackson. If you're Lamar Jackson, that makes a little more sense. But if you're Jared Goff, you should not be having more rushing yards than your running backs. So uh, Jamal Williams and Swift need to pick it up. They just have to because, especially if you're trying to make that push into the playoffs, you're trying to catch the Giants at the Commanders, you got to be able to run the ball, and your defense needs to be able to stop the running game. But for the Carolina Panthers, good for them. I know they were off to a really bad start. In the beginning of the season, they looked like they were not even going to make the playoffs. But now they have a chance. They're only about a, a game and a half away from the Buccaneers. They need to win this week and then win the next uh, the following week and hope the Buccaneers lose again to get the playoffs. So they're not out. They're Cinderella, I believe they're the Cinderella team this season. They may make wild card they may not you know they may win the division so we're gonna have to see on that game but good for the carolina panthers that their season's been turned around and especially with matt rule now finally being out of there so good for the carolina panthers but detroit lions you can't uh i'm sorry but you can't blame jared goff you just can't he's having a great year he has great numbers i believe you need a little bit more from your running backs and you need a little bit more from your defense all right so the next game that caught my eye was tennessee and the texans the Houston Texans win their second game in the season. <laughs> Two wins this season, Houston. Good job, good job. Tennessee, what happened to you guys? I will tell you what happened. Ryan Tannehill did not play. That's what happened. And Malik Willis, I there was a lot of talk about him coming uh, coming up this season, you know, from the draft getting picked. To me, he doesn't look like he's ready. Right now. Right now, he's not ready. 
And I think it doesn't help that Ryan Tannehill is not helping him, you know, developing him into that quarterback. And I believe that's where the problem's starting to come in. Because you can clearly see the difference in play between uh, Malik Willis and Ryan Tannehill. You can clearly see the difference between the two quarterbacks. You know, Malik Willis, this in this game against the Texans, he was 14 for 23, 99 yards passing and two interceptions. You cannot play like that as a quarterback. You cannot put up those kinds of numbers and expect to win your game. I understand they, has, they have King Henry, Derrick Henry, who had 126 yards on the ground and one touchdown. But when you get outplayed by David Mills, who went 17 for 28, 178 uh, passing yards, one touchdown and one interception, you're not going to win your games. And Houston's defense is not something, you know, to push around because they almost beat, uh, what's it called, the Dallas Cowboys. They almost beat, you know, other teams. So their defense is not bad. Obviously, their offense needs a lot of help. But when you play that poorly like Malik Willis did, you're not going to win games. I understand you have the best running back in the in the league in Derrick Henry. You have, you know, that much strength on you. And I understand that he doesn't have the top, you know, wide receivers like they did last season when they had AJ Brown. But either the quarterback uh quarterback room needs to develop him a lot better or Ryan Tannehill needs to suck it up and teach him something. Because clearly, without Ryan Tannehill, they are struggling. You know, they are struggling to be able to move the ball. Aside of aside of their game plan of give Derrick Henry the football, they don't have much options. And I think honestly, this offseason for the Tennessee Titans, they need to get either another wide receiver because Robert Woods is not is not is not cutting it. Obviously, when AJ Brown left, their receiving game plummeted, and Derrick Henry cannot carry the ball 23, 25 plus times and expect to win. Because clearly that clearly they can do that, but if your quarterbacks cannot pass the ball then what's the point? Because what do you do? Why do you guys? Why does everybody run the ball to throw it? But if your quarterback can't throw it, then what's there to fear? So Malik Willis, I don't believe he's the answer yet. I don't think he's the answer yet. But I think the Tennessee Titans need to do something. They need to teach him because clearly Ryan Tannehill is letting him sink or swim. And right now Malik Willis is sinking and sinking fast. I just don't want Malik Willis to end up being one of those quarterbacks that just didn't work out in the NFL. Because I don't think that's him. And I hardly doubt that that's going to be his career. I just believe that Tannehill is a little butthurt that they went to go get go get him in the draft instead of believing in him after giving him a pretty um, a sufficient contract. So that's just all I have to say about the Tennessee Titans. You guys, someone's got to help Malik Willis. Either teach him or, you know, you know, mentor him. Get somebody in there to help him out. Because Ryan Tannehill is clearly not doing it. And Derrick Henry's running uh, running ability is not enough. And because of this play, and because of Ryan Tannehill being out and Malik Willis not being, you know, what he's supposed to be, they are not in the number one seed anymore in the AFC South. The Jaguars have now catapulted themselves to first, and now they may make the playoffs. So this is just hurting the Tennessee Titans more and more. That's all this is doing. It's not helping them. You know, Ryan Tannehill is not just, you know, helping himself. He is hurting the team. Because when stuff like this happens, when you get injured, guess who's the next person up? It's the backup quarterback you refuse to help. That's He's next. And if you're really content with Tennessee failing because you don't want to help out this quarterback, then I believe that you're kind of the problem here. Then you're kind of the, the bad apple in this team. Because clearly he does not want to help Malik Willis. He is telling him either figure it out or figure it out. And he has not figured it out. And that is that's a problem. 
because he's a young quarterback. He's not. He wasn't. Trev- he's not Trevor Lawrence. He's not Peyton Manning that could figure it out right away. He's not Andrew Luck. He's not. You know, Rob- he's not RG three who was able to figure out his first season. He's not. You need to be able to help him and be flexible because he is probably going to be the future of the Tennessee Titans. And just because you're upset that they picked him and they may think that you might leave or they don't believe in you or they're ready to have someone on board. You know, he kind of pulled a page out of Aaron Rodgers' playbook, basically. Kind of how Aaron Rodgers was so mad that Jordan Love got drafted in the first round, even though the Packers were just preparing in case he retires or anything bad happens to him. They have the back of quarterback needed. And I believe he just he took it personally, and now the Tennessee Titans are suffering because of it. All right, so the next game that caught my eye is the Rams and the Broncos. First of all, Broncos country, I'm sorry. I, I'm, I'm really sorry that this is happening to you. It just it hurts my heart to it hurts my heart when that happens, you know it just it really does. Hurts my heart that you guys are you know four and eleven and have no head coach anymore. <laughs> Sorry, wrong button. But uh, the but the LA Rams pulled off the win, fifty-one to fourteen. Now, Russ, I, I don't know what's going on with Russell Wilson this season. Like there is no excuse, there's no way to explain what is going on with him because these were his numbers in his game. Russell Wilson was fifteen for twenty-seven. With 214 passing yards, one touchdown to three interceptions. Baker Mayfield, who is on his third team, and he is, I believe this is week three, with his new team under Sean McVay, he passed for uh, 24 for 28, 230 yards, and two touchdowns. And then on top of that, the defense for the Denver Broncos made Cam Akers look like Eric Dickerson. That's just what he looked like. Because I believe, let's see, right here. Sorry, I thought I wrote it down. But I know Cam Akers rushed for over 100 yards. And actually, actually, before heading into the game, the Rams were a three-point underdog. The Broncos were projected to win against the LA Rams, who have a shot offensive line because they are running with backups. They're running with backup wide receiver wide receivers. The only one that's a starter that's a starter that's on that offense is Tyler Higby, who had a big game. Baker Mayfield's probably going to be the backup quarterback to Matthew Stafford, and Matthew Stafford is just out for the rest of the season. Cam Akers doesn't even want to be there anymore. He was he was asking for a trade earlier this season after you know getting benched by for Henderson, who got traded, by the way, which I didn't understand that, that logic. So the Broncos lost that bad to a team that is running on no Cooper Cup. No Aaron Donald, no good running back, an offensive line that is broken. No Allen Robinson. They had to go get Baker Mayfield in waiver claims. This is his third week with the team, and they lost that bad of a margin. Now, with that, though, with the Broncos doing that bad, this just ultimately led to Nathaniel Hackett getting fired. Because that is embarrassing to watch. That is just a heartbreaker. And you you hate to see it happen to the Denver Broncos. But I think that they may have to consider, you know, consider that Russell Wilson is part of the problem here. As I said earlier, Nathaniel Hackett obviously takes the majority of the blame here. He has to. He's the head coach. No adjustments, nothing. 
But Russell Wilson needs to take some kind of fall here. There was a video that surfaced on the sideline where the offensive lineman pushed the backup quarterback. He was not even the one playing in the game. He wasn't the one that threw those three interceptions. He wasn't the one, you know, turning the ball over, not converting on third down. But the offensive linemen were pushing the poor backup quarterback for the Denver Broncos. I'm like, no, go confront Russell Wilson. Go confront that million, million, million dollar man, number three, who has all that guaranteed money and an extension and confront him on why he is not playing good. That is something that the Denver Broncos locker room should go point the finger at, not go push the poor backup, and he didn't do anything wrong. He didn't. He really, really didn't. But they went and shoved him because of frustration, and I think that would, that just wraps up the Denver Broncos season in this year. You know, they're fighting with each other. Obviously, they're not, you know, connecting well. Russell Wilson, I think he's just making more enemies than friends in Denver at this point, isolating himself. They're blaming the wrong quarterback. It's just disaster. It's chaos over there in Denver. But now, moving on to the LA Rams, this is promising. And here's why. Because Sean McVay went on record to say that he be- he likes Baker Mayfield. And I-, I think now he believes in Baker Mayfield. That's why they went to go get him. I believe whenever they first signed him in waivers, he told reporters that I'm a fan of Baker Mayfield. He likes Baker Mayfield. And I think that was one of the bigger things and bigger confidence boost Baker needed because when Kevin Stefanski came in in Cleveland uh, during uh, Baker's last year there, I mean, they didn't like each other. It was just, you could just tell they did not like each other at all. And, and I think that was kind of what Baker Mayfield's setback was throughout the season. Uh, throughout that season with them, obviously he was injured, but it was just, you know, Kevin, uh, Kevin Stefanski did not believe in him. And then same thing with Matt Rule. They put him in a bad situation with a really bad team. And Matt Rule just not being, he was not, you know, not the head coach that they needed. And they, he just didn't have anyone that believed in him. And I think Sean McVay saying, I like Baker Mayfield, and now he believes in him. Now his confidence is boosted back up. And he dropped 50, helped drop 51 points on the Broncos. And before you, everyone says, well, it's Bronco, it's the Denver Broncos. Actually, the sec, the Broncos secondary is one of the best secondaries in the NFL, actually. That's one of their bright sides on that horrible, chaotic team is their defensive secondary. Patrick Sertan is a beast leading that secondary core. And so it's not like they're scrubs. It isn't. But Baker Mayfield was able to pass all over that de- that defense. I believe that what they did was, obviously, they play like a lot of man or a lot of zone. So the wide receivers, and this is where Sean McVay is just an offensive-minded coach. You know, instead of, you know, well, I'm not going to take the risk with my wide receivers. They may not be able to beat corners like Patrick Sertan in that defense. So I'm going to make them bait, you know, give Tyler Higbee the ball and make him go go up against, the, you know, make them go tackle a tight end. And that's why Tyler Higbee had a big, great game. Cam Akers, you know, ran the ball all over that defense. And... Sean McVay was just the better coach in that game and helped set, help set Baker, May- Baker Mayfield up to be successful. He didn't. It wasn't like Carolina where they put him in probably in bad situations, you know, or in situations where they should have won the game, like the couple instances in the beginning where receivers weren't catching the ball, they were dropping it in the end zone, they were dropping the first down markers, you know, or something crazy happened with a ref and made them lose the game. Now, I think Baker Mayfield's in a spot that he likes. He likes being in L.A. 
He likes Sean McVay. Sean McVay believes in him. So now they have a you know, now they have a pretty good backup quarterback for Matthew Stafford in case anything happens to Stafford next season. So I'm very excited to see what the future holds for Baker Mayfield. But they pulled off the win against the Denver Broncos, 51 to 14. Now the last game, Sunday Night Football, the Buccaneers and the Cardinals. Uh, the Buccaneers would end up winning 19 to 16. Uh, I believe it was an overtime. Tom Brady. Tom, Tom, Tom. Thomas Patrick Edward Brady Jr. He passed for th- uh, 32 for 48, 281 yards, one touchdown, and two interceptions. There, there, there isn't an explanation for this. He is not good. He just isn't. I understand he pulled the win. Oh, you know, he was able to pull off the win. I get that. He did it earlier this season, too. But he's also, you know, th- you know, also been part of the problem on why they should not be in the situation. He was going up against not even, not Kyler Murray. He wasn't going up against Colt McCoy. He was going up against Trace McSorley, who's never started in the NFL. That was his first NFL start. And Trace McSorley was 24 for 45, 217 yards, and one interception. I believe James Conner had a, a pretty big touchdown earlier in that game. So he was, you know, the Buccaneers are not a good team, but they were struggling against an even worse team in the Arizona Cardinals who were supposed to be you know, this really great NFL team, but kind of like, I believe, like the Denver Broncos, they just crumbled. And he was struggling against a really bad team. And that's not good for Brady. I understand he pulled off the win. You know, they went to OT, they they finished him off. Fine, I'll give people that one. But you cannot struggle against a horrible team when a team is is not up to your play and you guys know you're better than them. You should not be struggling. The running game was non-existent. Nobody ran for, I believe it was eighty, like over eighty yards or ninety yards. No one cracked a hundred. The uh, I believe Leonard Fournette was the leading uh, receiver uh, in the game with uh, nine catches for ninety yards. Mike Mike Evans wasn't very helpful in that in that game. Uh, Scotty Miller not being good. Julio Jones is the shell of himself. Is a shell of himself. And the Buccaneers are not looking good. They're not looking good heading into the playoffs, uh, heading into the, into the postseason. Now they have to go up against the Carolina Panthers and hope they beat them to clinch the division. And I'm just gonna, it's going to be interesting this Sunday, but Brady needs to play better. Like, he needs to get his act together right now because that is concerning. I thought, like, at least this game would be, like, kind of his, you know, revenge or his little comeback, you know, like, all right, let's have a good game. You know, boost his confidence, but I think this just took away more of his confidence because you are struggling against Trace McSorley and a really bad Arizona team who's probably they may fire um Cliff Kingsbury after the season. I'm not sure. I personally hope they don't. But they may fire Cliff Kingsbury. They didn't have Kyler Murray. Uh D Hop was taken out of the game. I believe the only one that made an impact on that Arizona team was James Conner. So the Arizona, the Buccaneers need to figure it out somehow in some way. Brady needs to figure it out. That defense, who uh, looked pretty scary in the beginning in the beginning of the year, is just not looking like it anymore. Obviously, you know Arizona was able to move the ball against the Buccaneer defense. The wide receiver, uh, they're just not the receivers and Brady are just not connecting. I'm not sure what it is, and I believe that one of the crazier things about this season is that um, Julio Jones doesn't actually practice because of his. You know, he's very injury prone, so he doesn't practice a lot with Brady, and I believe Brady takes off Wednesdays because he's an older age man and he can, you know, he's a little more, uh, 
fragile than other quarterbacks in the league right now. But I think that's becoming the problem. <laughs> you need to practice. You need to get, you know, in line with these wide receivers. You know, got to get reps, uh, seven-on-seven drills, something. You know, route tree with them. Because clearly that's becoming the problem is that there's miscommunication with the wide receivers. The offense isn't figuring it out. And I think another thing that's kind of another issue with uh, Todd Bowles being the head coach is that they're not making adjustments. I think that Brady was way too used to it with, um, sorry about that, with Belichick with, you know, adjustments. So with him having Belichick, and obviously Belichick's probably going to go down as one of the greatest coaches to ever coach the NFL. And great defensive minded. But another great thing about Belichick and that, you know, that team that they had is that they were able to make adjustments throughout the game. You know, when they saw that there was a blitz package that they didn't like, or, you know, maybe this play call works a little bit better against this uh, zone, or, you know, this maybe let's try a trick play to get these, uh, get the wide receivers open. They were able to make those proper adjustments. And that's why they had so much success, you know, with the New England Patriots. That's how they, that's how Tom Brady was able to get his rings. But I think with Todd Bowles and, and like, now, I think that's another issue is because they're clearly not making adjustments. They're hoping that, you know, Brady, you know, Brady just goes off, you know, either Brady sinks or we're all going to sink. You know, I think that's the kind of the the mindset that Todd Bowles has uh, this season. And even with Bruce Arians, who uh, who coached uh, Brady whenever they won the Super Bowl, I believe that he was able to, you know, make the adjustments that they needed, which is exactly what they did. And that's how they beat the Chiefs. But now with him gone, Todd Bowles coming in. They don't make adjustments anymore. I don't know who's in charge of all that, you know, whether it be him or the offensive coordinator, but they do not make adjustments as needed throughout the game. And you can see it because they're still struggling to move the ball. They were struggling against an Arizona team that's not that good. They were struggling against other teams that aren't good. And the Buccaneers are going to have a a real hard time against these playoff teams come January if they're not making the proper adjustments. So the Buccaneers, I mean, congratulations to you guys for beating the Arizona Cardinals, but you're going to have to figure it out because playoffs is right around the corner and the car and the I'm sorry the Carolina Panthers are at your doorstep ready to burst through and kick you out to be able to get into the playoffs. So, all right, so let's move on to the last segment of the podcast which is game picks. So, first off, I'm going to start with the NFL and then I'm going to move on over to the college football playoffs and who I think is going to go to the national title and who's going to win the national championship. All right, so for the first Thursday night game, the Cowboys are going to go up against the Tennessee Titans. I I have the Cowboys winning this one. I know that I know Derrick Henry might you know rush for a hundred yards, but if Ryan Tannehill's not going to play and if Malik Willis is not going to uh, play as well as he's supposed to, I like the Cowboys' chances. They now they have a little confidence, you know, going into this game. You know, let's finish the year off strong and let's try to catch the Philadelphia Eagles. You know, hopefully they they lose, but. We're going to have to see, but I got the Cowboys winning in primetime. It's actually probably more of the better primetime games that they've played, uh, that they showed this year. Now, next, for now we're going on the Sunday games, the Dolphins and the Patriots. The uh, the Dolphins were coming off a bad loss against the Packers, but you know what? I'm, I'm going to change it, I get I'm going to change it uh, just because the Dolphins are, are not playing good uh, right now. They, were, they kind of lost to the uh, Green Bay Packers. I'll give it to the Patriots. I'm going to give the Patriots it. I think that they're going to try to make that final push to get into the playoffs, and this is the game that they need right now, and Belichick is going to try to get his team into playoff contention. Just Matt Patricia needs to stop running the ball and halfback screens, but I'll give the Patriots in a close game. Next up, we got the Cardinals and the Falcons. 
I'm gonna give it to the Falcons. They're both not really good teams, but I think the Falcons have a little have more than enough to get the win against the Cardinals. Next up, the Bears and the Lions. I got the Lions winning this one. Jared Goff's probably gonna have another great game. That defense of uh, the Chicago Bears is just not as good as it used to be. And aside of Justin Fields, they don't really have any other talent. So give me the Lions in that one. Next up, the Denver Broncos against the Kansas City Chiefs. I mean, it's kind of a no-brainer there. I got Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs. They're probably going to drop 50 points. Because if Baker Mayfield can drop 51 points after just being there for three weeks, I am more terrified of what the Chiefs may do with Patrick Mahomes. So give me the Chiefs on that game. The Indianapolis Colts and the Giants. Give me uh, the, the New York City Saquon Barkleys because they will go as far as Saquon Barkley will take them. Give me the Giants in that game. Next up, the Saints and the Eagles. I'm going to put my faith in New Orleans. Let's go Saints. I have them beating the Philadelphia Eagles. If Gardner Minshew is going again, I'm going to hope that the New Orleans Saints can pull off the upset against the Eagles. I know they're hurting right now. Maybe their confidence is a little low. Got a little piece of humble pie that they can be beat. They're not invincible. And now maybe, you know, the that Saints defense can see a little bit of a loophole and stop the Philadelphia Eagles. So I got the Saints with the upset in that one. Next up, we got the Browns and the Commanders. I'm going to give it to the Commanders just because they're going to start Carson Wentz this week over Taylor Heineke. Uh, maybe a little change of scenery. You know, give Carson Wentz another shot. I just don't think the Browns are going to be good enough to beat the commanders and i believe uh chase Young's supposed to come back don't quote me on this i believe he's supposed to come back this week or next week but if he comes back that defense just got a whole lot better hands down and deshaun watson he's just not playing well and i kind of predicted that you've, you've been out of football for a couple years you're not going to be good so i predicted that i have the commanders winning that one to keep their playoff hopes alive next up the jacksonville jaguars and the texans Give me the Jacksonville Jaguars. They have a lot to lose, especially after just getting the number one spot in the AFC South. I believe they're going to continue on their hot streak. Trevor Lawrence is having a season this year. So give me Jacksonville. And they're playing at NRG Stadium, so they will be indoors compared to being outdoors. So give me the Jacksonville Jaguars. Trevor Lawrence has another big game. The 49ers and the Raiders. I'm going to give it to the 49ers. It's going to be the battle of defenses. Uh, the Raiders do have... A good, a good enough defense to get by. Obviously, the 49ers has the best defense in the league right now. Uh, Brock Purdy is going to have a tough time, I think, against Max Crosby because they're actually going to play a legitimate defensive line. Uh, defensive line. Uh, this is going to be, his, I believe, this is probably going to be his first test against against the, an elite core in Max Crosby. Chan or I don't know if Chandler Jones is going to play because of that gruesome injury. But Perryman and the linebacking core. Uh, but I still have the 49ers. They have just way too many weapons and talent. Uh, Brandon Ayu, Christian McCaffrey, who's as long as he stays healthy, Brock Purdy's weight and pressure that's on his shoulders is going to be lifted and probably put on Christian McCaffrey. But give me the 49ers against the Raiders. Next up, we got the Jets and the Seahawks. Mike White has been cleared, ladies and gentlemen, out there. Mike White has been cleared. So he's going to come back and be the saving grace for the New York Jets. Now, for and forever, it's going to be probably Mike White. The Seahawks are not playing good. Geno Smith is starting to look like Geno Smith that we we know and how he's played. He's not playing up to the level that he was playing in the beginning of the, the, beginning of the year. Pete Carroll starting to kind of crumble down a little bit. But give me the Jets with Mike White returning. He's going to go off again. And let's see. Next up, we got the Vikings and the Packers. 
I'm going to give it to the Vikings just because they're one of the hottest teams right now in the NFL, coming back 33-0 against the Indianapolis Colts. They beat the Giants this past week. And I know it's Aaron Rodgers and the Green Bay Packers, and they're trying to make their push into the playoffs. But give me the Minnesota Vikings for that game. Next up, the Rams and the Chargers, the battle for L.A. Either Justin Herbert or Baker Mayfield. I am sticking with my guy, Baker Mayfield. Give me him over the Chargers, and I think the Chargers have a little bit more to lose. The Rams don't. They're already eliminated. There's nothing more that they can do to get into the playoffs. It just There isn't. Mathematically, they cannot get in. So they have nothing to lose, and they're just playing the play now. But the Chargers have a lot to lose. And this is where, like I said in my argument, that Justin Herbert, even though he's having great numbers, I believe uh, one of his armband and his towel are going to the Hall of Fame because he passed for 4,000 yards in a couple seasons. He, he's having good records, but he's not winning games, and he's not winning them where it counts. So I'm going to give it to Baker Mayfield and the L.A. Rams. They are going to win the battle for Los Angeles. And then next up, we got Pittsburgh and the Ravens. I know Pittsburgh's coming off a great win against the Raiders, but I'm going to give it to the Ravens just because they're able, they're kind of figuring it out with their new quarterback until Lamar Jackson returns. So I think they have a little bit more confidence in uh, in Huntley right now. Uh, Pickett's still trying to figure it out with Pickens. So we're going to have to wait for uh, to see like what happens with Pickett, maybe in a couple years. But give me the Ravens over the Pittsburgh uh, Steelers for this week. And then next up, the Buccaneers and the Panthers. Who is going to win that division? And that's a really close race. But I'm going to give it to the Carolina Panthers. Like I said, Tom Brady is not playing like Tom Brady, and we've all seen it. So I'm going to take Carolina Panthers. They just knocked off um, the Detroit Lions. In a, in a pretty spectacular way, Tom Brady struggled against the Arizona Cardinals who did not have Kyler Murray or Colt McCoy. They started Trace McSorley, and he almost got outbeat by Trace McSorley. And I believe the Carolina Panthers won their last meeting against each other. So give me the Panthers. They're going to try to take away the try to take away the division from the Buccaneers. I believe the Carolina Panthers, Sam Darnold's doing you know, do pretty well in that running game is doing spectacular. They're figuring it out. So give me the Carolina Panthers beating the Buccaneers. Now for Monday Night Football, I believe this is going to be one of the best matchups this week. The Buffalo Bills versus the Bengals. Now, it was a tough one. I, I'm not going to lie. This was a tough pick. But I'm going to go with Joe Shiesty, Joe Burrow. I got them beating the Bills. I think they have a great offense. Joe Mixon is back. Jamar Chase is going to play well going into the playoffs and give me the Bengals. This is probably going to be a potential playoff matchup, so this is going to be a great game. Probably one of the better games we've gotten in Monday Night Football this season, but give me the Bengals in a close game against the Buffalo Bills. But already, everyone, that'll wrap things up for this episode of CAV Sports Podcast. I will be uploading this episode to my YouTube channel, at CAV sports and if you guys want to check out any other episodes you may have missed make sure to check it out on that youtube channel at cav sports but thank you guys for tuning in and have a happy new year